Business of Software podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the Boss Podcast. I'm Kirk Bailey and it's good to be back. Those few weeks off for the holidays really mess with your brain at the best of times and paired with the Covid lockdowns, I'm surprised I remembered which day to come back at all. Yes, it's a new year, so welcome to the first episode of 2021. We are back, streaming into your ears with a fresh talk released every Tuesday. For first-time listeners, let me fill you in on how this podcast works. Every episode, I delve into the Business of Software conference archives and share some of the best talks we've had the pleasure of presenting. These can be on a range of topics from remote working, to building better team culture, to selling your business, and so much more. This week, we hear from Wistia's co-founder, Chris Savage, on his boss talk, Growing and Scaling Without the Hassle of Hustle. Most founders dream of building a product that eventually becomes a household name and sells for a billion dollars, but chasing that goal comes with some downsides. The grow-at-all-costs model inevitably forces you to sacrifice something you care about in service of short-term revenue growth, whether that's your culture, your employee experience, your product, or your creative approach. But what if you're not in the game just to sell? What if owning and building an independent, amazing company is the goal? This is why Wistia turned down a buyout offer and took on $17 million of debt back in 2018. In this talk, Wistia's CEO, Chris, talks about the process of scaling and growing over the years, including some fascinating insights into how to communicate well internally in an expanding company and the importance of delegating as your company grows. Happy listening. So Boss is one of my favorite conferences. I've been here maybe four or five times. Um, came as a sponsored guest the first time. We had a tiny little startup, but it was just the two of us. Um, was actually asked to speak once before, which was amazing. Gave a talk about the three mistakes that defined our business. Um, I've updated that talk once since. Phenomenal talk, fantastic talk. I think you'll love it. <laughs> it's at WIS slash three mistakes. Um, and the business, Wistia was about uh, about 20 people when I gave that talk. And I was certain that these were the things that defined us. Um, it really felt like it. It was like marketing things and product things and all the early lessons that, that we made. But I've realized since then that I was wrong. I was very wrong about those things. Still a good talk. But, <coughs> but actually, there's only really one thing that matters. And it's this. It's just people. Um, and since I was last here, since I last spoke, um, this is from our annual conference, WCFS, which we also did at the Seaport. <laughs> yeah, fantastic conference. Um, but since I was last here, the company grew from 20 people to 100. Um, we have hundreds of thousands of customers now. Um, we have multiple buildings. We have people who are remote. We have multiple products. Like A lot of stuff has changed. And there's a lot of stuff that I really wish I had known about. <laughs> But when we were 20 people, because it would have had a really big impact on how we actually scaled to 100. So today, I'm going to be talking about things that I wish I'd known, scaling from, from 20 to 100. Um, so I'm going to give this all with one caveat, which is that just like Natalie was just talking about, 
I think you have to, I'm gonna assume that you've hired the best. I'm gonna assume that you found people who wanna be there, who are excited, who are fantastic people. There's a million talks, there's a talk tomorrow about this. There's a million talks about why you need to hire the best, and you do. I'm not gonna give you a talk about hiring slow and firing fast. I'm not gonna talk about those things, but that's my general assumption as we're going through these challenges. Even when you have the best people, there's, there's things that come up um, that, can, that can really throw you for a loop. So three challenges we're gonna talk about. The first one, Communication just gets a lot harder. It gets really hard. Uh, much, much harder than I ever thought it would be. It was effortless at the beginning, it became very hard. Big problems are scarier because there's more people who care about them. There's more people there. There's customers relying on you. Uh, there's hundreds of people. Um, and when you see a problem, and if it's gonna negatively affect the business, it's not just your life, it's other people's lives as well. And then the last time is just no time to think. There's just no time to think when you're scaling this fast. So the first one we're gonna talk about is communication. So when we were five people, 10 people, we would eat lunch together basically every day. And we would work next to each other every day. And everybody knew everything about what was happening in the company. And people would say to me, hey, what do you do for communication? I'm like, I don't know, we just do, we just are. We're just here and everyone knows stuff. Uh, when you're 100 people, it turns out that everyone doesn't just know stuff. Because some people are in some meetings, and some people are in other meetings, and some people wrote a document, and some people didn't, and someone's on vacation, and people all treat their inbox differently, and Slack, and everything. And so cutting through the noise and actually getting a clear message through can be really, really, really hard. So if you want to go in this direction, and it's a new direction, it's a different direction, it's not as simple as saying, I want to go in this direction anymore. So I'm going to talk to you about um, some of, uh, I'll give you an example of some communication um, that did not go as well as I hoped it would go, and then I think what you can do to do better. So about a year ago, every, well, every year we set annual, annual goals, and at the end of 2016, we were setting goals for 2017, as you do. Last year, slightly better than average. We were done in November. I was very excited about this. Uh, so we had a meeting with everybody, said, here are the new goals. This is where we're going. This is what we're doing. And we sent out a document. It was our blueprint of the goals. So, the vision, the market opportunity, how our values fit in, all of this stuff. And we learned this lesson that if you have an in-person meeting and you want people to remember something, it really helps to write that stuff down and actually send it out at the same moment that people have a reference. They have the recorded video, they have this. So we thought we were doing everything right. Like I'd already learned all these lessons about how to communicate better. So set this document out there, had the meeting, went pretty well. And you can't actually see this on the left here, is comments. So people are commenting on the document. And they're like, oh, why do you think we're going to do this? Or is this a big concern? And I'm in there, and other people are in there. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I sent these goals out. Everyone understood them. It was super clear. I cut through the noise. And then, a couple weeks later, just like walking through the office, and someone says, when are you going to send out those finished goals? What do you, what do you, what do you mean? I've, I sent them out two weeks ago. We had a meeting, sent out a document. We had this finished stuff, and they're like, um, no, there were, there were comments on that. And if there's comments on it, it means it's probably not done. You're probably looking for insight. You're probably thinking about changing this. And so it's actually, I think it's unfinished. And I was like, no, well, what? so I, this shocked me. This completely shocked me. So I start walking around, and I ask other people like, hey, have you started creating goals for your team? Are you doing things? They're like, no, the goals aren't done. What are you talking about? Like, we spent all this time working really hard to come up with these goals, to get to the company, to get the company aligned, to go in a new direction. And basically, 
the tone was off for this. So because there were comments on this document, people assumed that it was unfinished. And actually, because it felt unfinished, it was unfinished. And this was a problem. Because now, we just wasted a ton of time. Nobody knows what we're doing. I actually created anarchy a little bit because people saw these things and they're like, I don't know how my work fits into this. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And so people start doing crazy different things, which these are great, fantastic people, but the tone was off. So we tried to learn from this lesson and um, we had another challenge that we wanted to, to fix, wanted to work on, which was all of our teams working on different schedules. So product and engineering would release a product, then marketing, like, oh, they're not totally ready to market it yet because they're finishing something else, and so they'd get free. And then support would say, hey, we don't have any knowledge-based articles written. And so we, there was, the teams were not aligned. This seemed like not too big of a deal. My co-founder and I were talking about this. We're like, we'll just create a schedule for everybody. We'll get, try to get everyone on the same schedule. Everyone will go at the same speed, at the same pace, and it'll be easy. So what we wanted to communicate was, let's try to get all the teams on the same schedule. She seems simple, right, seems simple. And we need, as we were writing up the documents this time, um, we thought, okay, we're, we need some kind of metaphor to make this clear. So we called this the operating system for how we operate, and we leaned a little bit into a mountaineering metaphor. I'm gonna show you uh, what this is. And we're just trying to make it as clear as possible, trying to make our communication so clear so people know what we're doing. So we made base camps and summits. So base camps are a week, and during the base camps you do planning, retros, you form your teams, and then summits are when we do the work, um, and you basically execute, and then we do demos. So this was a change, but we thought this wouldn't be too big of a deal. We thought this would be cool. And we'll just tell everyone, like, all right, we're going we're gonna to try to get on the same schedule. So we put in a document, learned from our mistake last time, no comments are on, had the meeting, <laughs> sent, sent it out, and can you guess what happened? Why are you changing everything. What the fuck are you doing? And it, suddenly, I had a room of people, smart people, who were very passionate, very, very upset, because I sent out something that the, where the tone didn't match, them, didn't match the message. We were trying to show everybody that we wanted to try something, and instead, because we wrote it up in this way, it felt so formal that it felt like we really were changing everything about the company, so they were up in arms, and they should have been. So, we made the same mistake again, and we got the tone wrong. And I, I had no idea how much tone would matter. And I want to show you how we learned from this mistake, and what we actually did that ended up working. So we thought more about the mountaineering stuff. And we thought, OK, we, we want to try to get everyone on the same schedule. But we don't actually want, we want people to try really hard. But we don't want them to, to stress. Because there shouldn't be any stress, because we're just going to try it. We're going to try it as a company. So what are the things we can do? And we realized, instead of using this metaphor for clarity, what if we used it to make it less serious? So we got back in front of the company, and I started presenting this. I'm like, what's a base camp? Well, basically, it's about preparing for the next climb. You're monitoring the weather. You're trying to bring oxygen up. You're letting off steam. We want to have unstructured time for you to get ready for what we're going to do next. And that turned into the goals for summits being around things like laying ropes for future climbs, acclimatizing so you can get you can get up to base camp, and then you can go to camp two and camp three, get your lungs into a better place, change the oxygen levels in the blood, um, rigging ladders, all this kind of stuff. And this started to work. People started, this simple thing started to bring people on board. Like, okay, maybe this isn't as serious. So then we needed a mascot. 
Does anyone know this guy? This is Ed Veesters. You don't know who Ed Veesters is? This is one of the greatest mountaineers of all time. Ed Veesters was the first American to summit all 14 of the world's 8,000er mountain peaks. He did it without any supplemental oxygen. He also saved people in the infamous Everest season of 1996 that Into Thin Air was about. The recent film Everest with Jake Gyllenhaal also was about this. And he once hiked with me and my co-founder. <laughs> um, so, we started talking about Ed and what Ed wanted for the operating system and how Ed wanted us to work and how you work well on a mountain. And it just continued down this thread as we realized that the tone of the messaging was going to dramatically determine how people respond to this, that we felt like we had to take it to the next level to just get people super comfortable. So obviously, Ed Visers is super expensive, so we couldn't get Ed Visers to come to the office. So if, do you want to guess what we did? We took my face and put it on, uh, my, my mouth and put it on Ed Visers' face. And we made a bunch of videos, videos that came out every week. And I'm gonna show you the first one right now. Good morning. I know what you're thinking. Handsome chopped face, windblown hair, layerable tentacle down jacket. Yup, it's me, Ed Visers. For those of you who have forgotten who Ed Visters is, let me jog your noggin. I'm the only American to have climbed all 14 of the world's 8,000er mountain peaks, and the fifth person to do it without supplemental oxygen. Yeah, that Ed Vistas. You know, I was brushing up on my heel hook the other day over at Brooklyn Boulders, when I overheard Amy Guan mention that Wistia is gearing up for their first ever four-week summit. Gosh, I remember my first four-week summit. I was nervous, confused, excited. I remember thinking, is four weeks enough time? Did I pack enough long underwear? Am I going to make it to the top? Now I know that you're probably gonna have those nervous feelings that old Vistas once had back when I was a greenhorn, but I'm here to tell you that you're going to make it. You're going to make it to the top of the mountain. And when you get there, you're going to look down with an ache in your back and an ice pick over your shoulder and think to yourself, look at how far we've come. Now there's one thing you gotta know when you make a friend in Ed Vistas, you make a friend for life. And there's no way I'm letting a small to mid-sized tech company go on a four-week summit alone. No siree. So get used to seeing my mug around these parts, because I'll be right here, by your side, checking in on you each week to make sure that we're all staying in communication and that we're on track to complete the summit. Good luck, Wistia. And remember, do not layer two pairs of socks. The blisters are just unimaginable. Vistas out. Yeah, round of applause for that. There you go. <laughs> I never thought I would show that video here, but when I had the opportunity, I had to, obviously. Um, so we made, well, Ed Vesters made an appearance once a week for about six weeks, telling everyone about what they should be thinking about the first week of the summit, how they should be preparing to get to the top and then turn back around and, you know, all this type of stuff. And it, it worked. It worked really well. Um, and so we were actually able to change the entire cadence of how we work as a company and adopt this operating system. And it was simply because we made the communication less serious and let people try it. And the tone is the message, was the takeaway for me. You know, in the early days, I just thought it was clarity. That's what everyone always told me. It's about clarity, it's about being authentic, all those things are true. But the tone of how you communicate things has an enormous impact on how people respond. So if you say the same thing and you send it in an email or a Slack, 
or a text, or you say it in person, or you say it in Ed Vesters' face, it's received very, very, very differently. And actually, this stuff matters. It matters when you have a growing team. It matters because you want to reduce stress. You want people going the same direction. You want to indicate, is this something really formal, or is this something really casual? So I wish, I really wish I had known that because there's a lot of things that we've tried over the years where I was always surprised by the response. And once we started to figure out this tone piece, it really helped. So big problems are scarier when you're scaling. They're just scarier. There's more people. There's, there's, uh, there's more money on the line. There's more customers. Everything feels like it has a bigger impact. Um, and so as the company grows, it, the, so does the impact of decisions. And there's this instinct um, that you have, which is I think everyone wants to feel like this guy. You guys remember who this is? Yeah. Ken Jennings. In 2004, 74 straight wins on Jeopardy made a total of $3.1 million in winnings. That Ken Jennings. This guy had literally every answer. No? Well, he had every question. But anyway, everyone wants to feel like Ken Jennings. You want to feel like you have the answers. And I think when your company's growing, you want to feel like there's a reason it's growing. Like, I did something, so I must know something. Um, and you want the answers before you communicate, especially around big problems. Big problems come up. I want to know what the answer. I want to have an idea of what the answer is before I tell everybody. I think this makes perfect sense. I'm going to show you an example of, of where we got this really wrong and what we learned from it. So um, the problem, we had a big problem in the business is a pricing problem. Um, like many software companies, we did a lot of pricing testing. We've done a ton of pricing testing. And these actual, the prices that are on these plans don't actually matter. But a couple years ago, um, we had this smart idea that we would create a new plan. So Wistia is a subscription service. You pay monthly, right? So all these people are paying monthly for these amounts, and they keep, they keep using their accounts. And um, someone had the idea, and we tested it, and it was a very, very simple idea. We'll make a plan that's $25 a month, and it'll have unlimited videos on it. So for us, that means you can use this as much as you want. The only other way someone would pay us more is if they are using bandwidth, which is a representation of how much people are watching their videos. So most people should be able to be on this plan. So we, do the, we put this out there, run the tests. It's amazing. It's received unbelievably well. There's like comments everywhere. I feel so smart, feel so good. Revenue is flying up, just accelerating super fast. Customers start accelerating really fast. So we're looking at the data, and the data says, this is a win. Great, it's a win. On my merry way. So then, <laughs> um, a while later, <laughs> someone comes to me and they're like, hey, have you been looking at the gross margin? Are you paying close attention to this? And I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's been seeming pretty close. Um, and this is like, we started about 74%. And you know, this, our gross margin will jump, jump around a little bit. This is obviously the cost of, takeout cost of goods after people pay you, and then this gross margin is what's left. Um, so it would jump around a little bit. I was not too worried about it. It had started to, to tail down a little bit, so we'd gone from like mid-70s to high 60s. And so I think, we, I think we have a problem here. I think we have a problem we need to look into, that the gross margin's dropping. I'm like, well, we told people could have, we told everyone they could have unlimited videos. Not a surprise. Like, it's not going to drop that much. Like, well, let me just do a little digging. So, um, the guy on our team does a little digging. He comes back and he starts looking at the business in a way we hadn't looked at it before, which is not looking at the whole or not looking at like a 20% segment, but really looking every single customer by every customer. How much, is, how much does this customer cost us? How much are they paying us? Like, how much are they writing in? All this kind of stuff. And he's like, I, I have something I need to tell you. <laughs> okay. 
we have hundreds of customers that have over 10,000 videos in their unlimited video account. Okay, it's like we have, we have about 50 customers that, have, um, that are in the high hundreds of thousands of videos, close to a million. And we have one customer that's like, <laughs> that's adding over a million videos a month. Um, now, to be fair, that one customer was paying for some bandwidth, so they were paying us like a little bit more. We go look at it. Uh, our biggest customer, <laughs> this is great, everyone's in suspense, it's phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the biggest, we were losing about $25,000 a month on one customer. And then you go look at all the other customers that are in this state, and it's not a good state. And how do we get into this, this how do we make this mistake in the first place? I was talking to Natalie about this earlier. Basically, we thought we were Google. We're like, yeah, we're a big company. Like, the cost will come down to this thing. Like, they, well, they didn't. So, <laughs> so, so we have to figure out what are we going to do. And um, as we're looking at the data, we were actually realizing that the rate that videos are being added on these old accounts uh, was so high. Because it actually wasn't even current accounts anymore. It was like ones that had signed up a year ago. Um, was so fast that this gross margin, which you see it started to tail off, was going to drop. Like in three years, we are going to be screwed. So didn't tell the team because we wanted to figure it out. And so we got a few smart people together and started digging around. We looked at some old testing data. We, we, we tried some stuff. We talked to some existing customers who told us that we were undercharging dramatically. Like, OK. And we, we secretly solved the problem. We came up with a plan, really, really excited. Eureka, we're going to tell the team we had this problem. Don't worry. Here we go. Now, the, the problem here is that we're going to have to raise prices for some customers, we're gonna, but we know that that's going to be OK because it's going to save the business. So we're excited to tell the team, here's the problem. Don't worry, we avoided it. Here's the solution. The team, I've never seen a group of smart, passionate people hate something so much as the day that we told them that we wanted to make this change to raise prices for customers. And this made sense because one of our values is customer first. We always want to put the customer first. And this felt like it was not putting the customer first. And they basically rebelled against it and told us that we couldn't do it. OK. So what should we do? Um, so we formed a new team that was much broader, had more people from across the, the company on it. And they would go and investigate the issue and truly understand like how bad is this, and could they come up with a solution. And what they ended up doing was something very different than we had done where we had been afraid to tell everyone about this problem, and it created this huge whiplash, they just solved the problem completely openly. So on a weekly and monthly basis, they would tell everyone, like, all right, we did this test uh, migration with customers over here. They didn't respond well to this thing, so we're going to try to fix it. We did this test over here. They responded this well, we're going to try to fix it. And they went along, and they just solved the problem completely in the open. And then by the time we made the change, which actually was in May of this year, everyone understood why it was happening. Everything, everyone was on board. And because that problem had been solved openly, everyone was excited about it. We actually ended up finding a way to do it in a customer-first way. And the realization on that, just to close the, on this particular thing, is, is that if we didn't do this, our business is going to be screwed in the future. We're going to have way less to help customers and serve them. And so while this was painful in this one moment, we had to find a way to do right by them. So they came up with a system that was very, very fair based on which plans people were on. We migrated. It ended up going extremely well. Um, we only had like a very, very small number of people cancel, very, a lot of positive tweets and stuff. I did not expect this, but it all came from solving the problem openly.
And so now, when I look at problems, I try to think like, how can we solve this in an open way with the team? An example of this right now is we're working through our strategy for next year, totally new process. People know it's going to mean change for what they're currently doing. And so we had an offsite on Monday of last week. And the day after, I sent an, a video and an email to everybody just walking them through what we talked about the offsite. And there weren't really even any answers to come out of it. It was a situation where it's like, here's our process. Here are the three things we're going to do. And we started doing thing one. I feel good about it. Um, and so the lesson is to solve big problems openly. And I really, really wish that I had fought the instinct to try to be Ken Jennings. Like, everybody has that instinct inside of them. And it's hard when your team gets really big and you don't know everybody as well, and you're trying to do right by them, and you're trying to protect them, you're trying to shield them, and then actually what it does is it creates whiplash. So the last big challenge I want to talk about is just there being no time to think. So when you go from 20 to 100 people, um, there's a lot more people, there's a lot more problems, there's a lot more opportunity. Uh, but having time to think is tough, which is very different than the early days. This is my co-founder, Brendan, in our office, AKA uh, his bedroom of a 10-person house we lived in. This is what it looked like back then for most of the time. Or I look like this. You're allowed to laugh. It's fine. Uh, every once in a while, hit the phone. Probably wasn't talking to anybody. That was for the photo. That was for this presentation right now. Back to the computer. Back to Brendan. We had a lot of time back then um, in the early days. This is an actual shot of my calendar one year after we started the business. <laughs> uh, take a look here at the top meeting. This is a five-hour meeting on one day. What is it? I went back and looked. This was someone told me they were going to be at a coffee shop, and I should swing by. And this is when they were going to be there. So my one meeting was to remind me that a friend of mine was going to be at a coffee shop. Um, and when you have a lot of time, and you have a lot of time to think, and you have a lot of time to cre create, and you have a lot of time to do dumb stuff, you do things. And I'm going to show you uh, a video that I, that I just found, a very, very important video that I just found from this actual same month um, from that calendar I was just showing you. But seriously, yes, this is so sick. Welcome to the future. Woo! <laughs> Transfer. No? No. Just <laughs> so let me explain what's happening here, OK? I had a point-and-shoot camera that recorded video. I taped it to a golf club, and I went like this. I invented the selfie stick. And I had no idea. We didn't do anything with this. <laughs> this is what it was like back then. You just invent selfie sticks accidentally, and then you never commercialize them. That's what it's all about in the early days. You've got nothing but time. Now, obviously, this is very different than what my calendar looks like right now. Um, and it's, I've really gotten come to terms with the fact that it's my job to be busy. Like, I feel like 100-person company, probably the CEO is pretty busy, probably is in a lot of meetings. Like, that's probably how it should be. And I got really used to this. And I also got really used to trying to be more productive. One of the things I'm, I'm really proud of is that even while I've been really busy at work, I've been able to keep like, a good work-life balance. So I leave uh, my house every day at 8 AM. I go to the gym. I go to work. I come home at 6 PM. I've been able to do this. Um, that's my wife, Alexandra, and my daughter, Zoe. Got another daughter on the way. Um, super exciting. Um, and I felt like I just had things in control. But 
as the team started to scale more, I started to notice that when I was at home, I would talk more about challenges of the business. Like, my wife would be telling me about something that happened today, and I would try to redirect. I'm like, well, what do you think about this thing? What, what about this problem that just came up? What should we do? And I started to notice that um, I was waking up in the middle of the night thinking about the business. And um, I was just becoming way less present. So while my calendar made it look like I'm busy and I've got this great work-life balance, I wasn't as present when I was home, and I was trying to think. And so actually, it was more like work-life unbalanced. It looked, it looked balanced, but it was unbalanced. And I forgot something that I think is really easy to forget, which is that I forgot that thinking is work. It's hard work to think. Uh, it takes time to think. As we were scaling, there's all these different challenges coming up in the business, and I needed to think about them. They weren't happening during the day. They were happening at home. And I, I also think that I didn't really realize, I kind of knew it inside of me, but I didn't really realize that running a company is actually a really creative endeavor. It's really different than the type of creativity of when you're starting your business. Uh, when you're starting, you're making selfie sticks, right? And the types of creative challenges that you have to, to, you have to face when you're really running a company are things like solving complex communication challenges, making decisions around pricing, trying to build a more diverse workforce. These things are really hard to do, and they actually take time to think. And I wasn't giving myself any time to think. All I was doing was thinking, all I was doing was being busy and mistaking that for work. So you need to see thinking as, as real work. And I, I think I kind of knew this, uh, but I didn't really know how to act on it. Um, and I think a lot of us do this, and we, we know that getting free time is hard, and so we focus on productivity. We talk about how can we make sure that we're being, um, you know, get to inbox zero, the get you done methodology, all these different productivity hacks. And that was something that I was really focused on, too, as a way to try to find this time. And about six months ago, I was talking with this guy. This is um, Ben Chestnut, who's the CEO of MailChimp. They have about 800 people. And we're covering all these different things about like, their business. I was asking him for advice. Then I got to the schedule question. I'm like, well, what, is your, what does your schedule look like? How do, you, how do you manage your schedule? Sitting there at dinner, having a glass of wine, takes a sip. He looks back at me, and he's like, it's never a schedule problem, is it? It's always a people problem. And I was like, what? 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 What are you talking about? People, people problem? And he's like, oh, well, you need to just, you need to delegate more, or you're too in the weeds, or you need to get better people. And that's it. It, it, thinking is work. You need to create the space for the work. And you have to get other people to step up. And that, I think this insight of being busy is a people problem, not a productivity problem, has been so insightful for me. It's totally changed my job and how I spend my time. And it's actually a pretty simple thing. You just have to delegate more, and you, you have to get better people. Now, in my case, I set this thing up saying we have great people. The very, very, very bizarre thing about this for me is that once I realized this, I asked a bunch of people to step up, and suddenly I had a ton of time. And it actually worked. But sometimes we don't think to ask ourselves those questions. We just act, and we get used to the busyness. It's like the frog getting boiled slowly, right? Like we don't realize until it's too late. And I think another thing we've all talked about and all seen is that sometimes you, it's easier to see in other people than in yourself. So for us, we've been doing hackathons at Wistia for years. We do hackathons twice a year. And people do stuff that doesn't look like work. 
These people are building like a LED, a crazy LED thing. This team built a phone booth, right? Like people were building physical items at these hackathons, but we knew they needed a few days of time just to think, just to create, just to do different stuff. And of course, out of those hackathons didn't just come us building physical things, but we ended up building things that turned into products. So we made uh, this, which is Wistia for Chrome, came out last year. We just launched in June Soapbox, a video creation tool that was born out of a hackathon. And I think everyone in your company needs time to think and create. And the, the, the key lesson is that you can't feel guilty about that, having that free time. You have to allow yourself to have that free time. You have to allow yourself to maybe build a selfie stick um, and never commercialize it. You, and and it's, it's, this is one of those hard things because we are all so addicted. So the big takeaways, the things I wish I had known, I wish I had known this when we were 20 people, were focus on tone when you're communicating. The way that you communicate is an the way that people react to what you're saying has an enormous amount of impact based on the tone. Solve the big problems openly. Don't try to be Ken Jennings. Like show everybody your problems as they're unfolding and bring them along with the, on the journey with you. It makes an enormous difference in terms of how fast you can progress and you're not gonna waste a bunch of time. And don't feel guilty having free time. Like free time and thinking time is super, super, super important. We've talked a lot about like mental health today. It's all tied in together, right? You need to have free time to do your best work. And often if you think about it, the early days when you have all that time and you're creating, that's what you get really good at doing. And then to use Natalie's analogy, the beast comes along and it takes your time. And you have to find a way to get it back. That's it, thank you very much. Brilliant, right, questions, Natalie. Hi, over here. Hi. Hi, so you talked about um, not solving problems secretly, right, and solving them out in the open. So one thing that um, we've had trouble with while scaling is having too many cooks in the kitchen. So too many people trying to solve the problem. Uh, so what is your advice on that problem? Great question. Um, what we've found is that we have to be explicit about the part that isn't solved yet. And so we'll say like, we've solved the first part. Um, this team is gonna be working on solving the next. And, or like this person. And so we're explicit in who is gonna be trying to solve it, but not, how, not necessarily how long, how long it's gonna take, or even when we think it's gonna be done. Um, the, and so the bizarre part of this is that there's some things that we, we uh, tell everyone about, and then they get solved literally the next day, and some things that have gone on for years, but that's okay because everyone's all on the journey. But does that, that make sense? Cool. Hi. Hi. Do you schedule free time? Thinking time? Yeah, so I tried scheduling thinking time, and I had like two, three-hour blocks like every week that was just my unstructured thinking time. And then what happened is like that was always the first time that got taken up. Um, I would use it, other people would use it, and it would never, ever, ever was being used the right way. And I actually, uh, yeah, this is going to sound insane, but since I've gotten my schedule this place, I like. Three weeks ago, took a couple people on the creative team to go, go see Dunkirk, like 10 a.m. on a Monday. <laughs> and it was just the point was, like, we have to get out of the office and, like, think about other stuff. And the coolest part was, like, we had huge insights, like, both on the way and on the way back. And, like, that never would have happened if we've never done it. Now, it doesn't look like work, but 
Yeah, I, I tried that, it didn't work. It wasn't until I really delegated that really, truly, truly delegated entirely um, problems that people could own and solve themselves. Okay, we've got two there. If you want to ask a question, just catch my eye, it's cool. Hi, thanks I'll for your talk. You up. Do you have a, a couple of specific examples of things that you delegated that were particularly useful? Yeah, so um, I was running a bunch of different meetings because I felt like I should be running them. So like a leadership meeting on Mondays, um, an all-company meeting that we do once a week. Um, in both those cases, I was pulling together everything. And that's, this is a simple example, but like telling people like, which topics do you have for this? Are you ready to go? And I was at the meeting actively running it. And I realized that I needed someone else to step up and take this, and they took it, and I'm, and so suddenly it gave me back like two hours a week or something. Um, and that doesn't seem like a lot, but then you start adding the other big things. Um, we, oh, I can't talk about this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's, a, yeah, there's a really huge thing we're doing right now that I've delegated entirely to somebody else. And I never imagined I could have possibly been able to do it. But we just set up really, really clear guidelines at the beginning that was like, we want to do this. This is really great. I would have done it before. We like said these things. You're doing it. What, how long do we have to check in on this? Um, and that's gone really, really well, too. Um, a lot of it is like just asking the team to say, like, what are the, you know, what's, we have, we, I'm thinking about the roadmap, of, the roadmap of the product. How are we going to do this better? And saying to someone, like, it's not just about the roadmap of the product. It's actually also about, like, who should our target customer be? And it also is about like this big aspect of the strategy. So try to take that whole thing and run with it. You're in the middle here. So, yes, um, you, so you spoke about challenges, communication challenges as the company went from 20 to 100. But you specifically focused on the tone of communication, right? Being, being the leader, being the CEO or whatever. Um, can you speak a little bit about other types of communication challenges, uh, more specifically about um, more about people being in the loop on all the different initiatives. I mean, yep. a hundred-person company, you know, lots of people working on lots of different things. Yep. Uh, multiple initiatives at the same time, people being in the loop on them, yep. knowledge sharing around, you know, presumably as you go from 100 to 200, it's going to get even worse. Yep. Can you talk a bit more about the challenges you faced and what you did about it, specifically I, with respect to this? Yeah, yeah. So we've had all of those challenges. Um, and we try, we've tried a lot of stuff. So the example of like, what's all the work that's happened across the business? So uh, obviously, we're small, everyone knew everything. And then now everyone doesn't know everything, myself included. And so we started doing things like, on a monthly basis, getting the, the functional heads to all get up and present on all their parts of the business. Like, all right, present on the, your part of the business. What happened? What are the numbers? All that stuff. And what I discovered is that people were tuning out and not like really engaging with it. It wasn't actually that helpful. Um, and the thing that has actually worked, and we're still working on it, is, is asking the team to own more of the, It's actually the same thing as the, the big problem stuff. It's like asking the team to own more of this. It's like, how can we help everyone be in the loop on what's happening? Um, so one of the, the, we started doing demos at the end of these summits, so it's in the calendar. And that was like one of the ways we started doing it. And um, actually, probably the, the most important thing we did was we built, we started taking like engineering practices and putting them across the business. So we started doing retros with like every team at the end of every summit. Like how is this working? 
What can we do better? What parts are confusing? And then what changes should we make to the overall system? And so as we've gone throughout the last year, we've been able to have the, like a constant iterations on the communication stuff. And so there wasn't like one big thing, it was like tons of little things. Um, and I actually think also we had to help everyone get comfortable with the fact that we don't know everything. I don't know everything about the business at all anymore and I can't. And you can't either and that's okay. So we're gonna have to focus on which parts are the most important ones um, to pull out. And then I would say the other thing is like, you know, the, I did learn the lesson being really, really clear, writing things down, all of that stuff is really helpful and should be done. Um, but everyone has information overload. And so the, the other way to do it is to, is to force managers to do it. Basically say like, you are responsible for communicating what's happening in this meeting to the people who report to you and to the people who report to them. And then actually, we'll tell people now before an all hands meeting, we'll get the managers together. And if there's some big thing that's changing, we'll say, this is the big thing that's changing. Do you have questions? Do you understand it? Are you a part of the process? And then tell them all to go to their teams and do the same thing. And so we try to cascade through the organization, and that has also worked really well. Um, but it's had to be it's had to be really explicit to make it work. Thank you, Mike. Um, it would seem right over. Uh, it would seem like the um, the obvious danger or inherent danger in delegating a lot of the stuff to kind of get it off your plate would be that you're essentially doing to the people that you're delegating the work to exactly what you're trying to get out of. Yes. Um, is that is that premise true? That's kind of the first question. And the second one is, uh, did you proactively look to kind of analyze that to make sure that that wasn't happening? What sorts of things did you do? Yeah, I think, um, yes. I And a, a one of the weird things, one of the things I realized was like, you do need to be constantly thinking of your overall business as like a creative challenge because it is, because a lot of the challenges that come up are so different than other things. And if I specialize in anything, I should try to specialize more in thinking. And then of the senior team, I try to, every, it would be very bad if people were not also doing the same thing. So what ends up happening is that things, those problems that get hidden aren't hidden, like everyone owns them and takes them a lot farther. Um, so I do think a lot about that, and we try to talk about it and work on it. Um, but I've almost had the exact opposite thing happening where I was so concerned about giving things to people that then they were begging for more stuff. This might be a unique situation to me, but this is, this is how it happened. To the dude that looks like he's gonna steal your Harley but is the most well-read person you will ever meet. Stand up. No. Yeah, come on. I rescind Don't my pretend to be shy, question. Shane. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned giving time to your team to create. There was a, a talk also in Europe in June about downtime. Everybody needs downtime. Uh, I, in the same position you were in, I blocked out time for myself, and that just ended up being the first time to go. So while I resolved that, we have people we want to give downtime to, but how do you do it and have them utilize it without having too much structure, whether they're gaining skills or just relaxing or, or whatever? I mean, how do they not have that time be the first to go? I'm curious if you have any insight or anybody else. Thank yeah, you. 
Thank so the, that's a great question. Um, I don't think we have it completely figured out. We're trying to focus on like, what do we want for the outputs from those teams? And being really clear that like in some areas of the business, we should probably be innovating like crazy in these areas of the business. Like all of those people are gonna need time and it needs to be protected. And the way that the work will be judged will be like the things that come out the other side. And so that doesn't actually solve the problem. That's like the first step towards solving it. Um, and it, but I, we've seen it work by being more explicit about saying like, over here innovate, over here like try to operate better. Um, I think the other thing is like modeling it. Like we try to not just myself, but if you were to go see what our creative team does, you would be like, these guys don't do anything. Like, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> and it's a weird thing. Like for a while, people were coming to the office like, what are these people doing? Like they're just screwing around. Um, but that's the part of the creative process is like having that time. And so that's kind of become embedded in the culture and been easier to, to show that way. So I, I really don't have like a, a perfect answer on it. Um, I would just say I think you have to model it and be clear to give people that permission. I think you could tell people don't just do busy work. Um, if someone's doing busy work, that's horrible. And people often don't even know what busy work is, but it's just so natural to do it because our whole, like our hustling culture causes us to do that, you know? Thank you. Go and meet Shane. Trust me, he's the most awesome person I've ever met. Um, not quite, because I've got a wife. Um, I'm going to award a small prize to the first person that comes and tells me where Shane's second name comes from. <laughs> there we are, over there. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. Right up here at the top? Yeah. So um, as you've gotten wiser uh, through this journey, um, and seem to be getting more proactive about solving these things, Looking forward, as you're continuing, I'm assuming the company is going to continue growing at this on this rapid trajectory. Um, what do you see as a couple of the the problems of, I guess, the same size and magnitude as these ones um, that you're going to run into that you're trying to get ahead of? Um, yeah, I think the communication problem never goes away; just gets worse. So we're trying we're trying really hard to get ahead of that one. I think for our business. We know we need to build more new products, which is something that is very brand new to us. Um, we had had our core product uh, actually launched in August 2007, and customers are still on there from back then. And we're starting to try to diversify the business. And that is a uh, definitely totally new challenge. And I, the things I'm worried about are like the culture fracturing and different people thinking about different things entirely or thinking like, oh, these are the new kids, they're doing all the cool stuff, or I don't like those kids, whatever the thing is. Um, and I think it's, we've, had, we've had to get a lot better at, at thinking longer term. And we kind of have flipped the company between these modes of feeling things that are really short term and things that are really long term. And I'm trying to figure out how do I get enough people, how do I get the balance right in the company of people thinking about the long term, innovating for the long term, um, with doing those things that we know are going to work now, and uh, I think those those are hard challenges. Um, there's a lot. I mean, I could probably <laughs> I go in for a long time about it, but yeah, those two. How about that? Thank you. Um, thanks for the talk. Uh, back to the communications. Uh, 
subject, I, I got a point that tone matters. I'm trying to figure out some kind of more practical takeaway from that, uh, apart from not allowing comments on mm? a finished document. So, for example, you mentioned that Slack, email, other means of communications, they, they, uh, you seem to imply that they bear different tone. Can you elaborate on that? What, which one would you use for what? Yeah, great question. So um, I think that the key, the key way that I think about it is like, all right, we, there's a huge change happening in the company. What kind of change is it? Is it something that is like there's no coming back from it and we have to go in this direction? Is it something that we want people to, it could feel like a big deal, but we don't want them to feel like, it a big deal, like it's a big deal? And then we figure out, like, how should we say it? So an example is, um, did a meeting last week talking about some big stuff happening and purposely had no notes and no agenda and anything and went into it as if it was a conversation and set it up so that within 10 minutes people were asking questions and that drove the whole, the whole, that the entire communication. And that, the point of that was like, we just need people to know why this stuff is really happening and we want them to be along with us on the journey. You know, two months ago, I communicated something that was just happening no matter what. This is, the, this is a formal thing. Didn't think it would scare people. That's being done in an all-hands meeting. And then there's tons of stuff that's almost like, how lasting is the information? And I think of email, when you get bigger, people stop responding to emails uh, because they just do. It's like natural inclination of like everyone in a room. There has to be more emotional reaction for people to respond when there's one person, someone will respond directly. So you think a lot about that. Like, if we're going to send in an email, we don't expect a response. So think about that as things that are like finalized, done, finished. If we are looking for more responses, I'll put it in Slack. And then how does that affect what we're actually trying to communicate? So if it's like we're slipping on a launch date, what do we want to tell people? Um, and that's how we, we try to think about it. And the reason why it was so surprised me is I just didn't even think about it at all. I was just like, it's all the same stuff. So does it matter if it's in these different ways? And then it obviously learned the lesson that it was. A new year brings with it new opportunities and new online events to quench every need. Check out businessofsoftware.org events to find out more about some amazing masterclasses we have coming up. Plus, keep an eye out for details of BossConf Online coming this spring. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.